You can now hear Movie Heaven, Movie Hell on Stitcher. Stitcher is ready on demand. Listen anytime, anywhere. Stitcher is an award-winning free app that lets you listen to all your favourite shows, plus discover from 20,000 news, entertainment and sports shows. You can also create your own custom playlists. Stitcher is available on iOS, Android, Nook, iPad and in over 4 million car dashboards. It's on demand and it's on the go. No downloading, no syncing, no wasted memory. You can stream your favourite podcasts from Stitcher. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at stitcher.com or in the App Store. And please, leave us a review and rating on Stitcher. Thank you. Welcome to Movie Heaven, Movie Hell with me, Simon Aiken, and... And I'm Keith Isles, and we are both independent filmmakers that enjoy uh, discussing other directors' work and related topics, and we're really pleased for this podcast special to be joined by a guest, uh, t- filmmaker Toby Dye. So welcome to the podcast, Toby. Hello. So, um, as some of you may have known, there was a um, an exhibition... Uh, an art installation that was on at Somerset House called uh, Daydreaming with uh, Kubrick. And it was um, curated by James Lavelle um, from Uncle and uh, also featured uh, a video that was on an infinity loop called The Corridor, which was directed by Toby. Very impressive it was too, I have to say. I, uh, I did visit the exhibit uh you know obviously being a fan of stanley kubrick's work and uh you know i found it very interesting um like with most installation art there were some pieces that i thought were really good and other bits that were you know interesting although a bit more ambiguous maybe um but i have to say very impressed with the with the piece that you did and when Simon said that he was able to get you on our show for, uh, you know, as a guest. I was, I was quite excited because uh, really enjoyed that. But also having watched more of your, your work, you know, some of your other work, um, very keen to, to speak to you about all of that as well. Cool. Thank you. So I think the first question I have is um, how did you get involved uh, with Daydreaming with Kubrick? I know James LaBelle because um, we've, we've worked together in the past. I made a, I made a music video for him uh, for a, uh, a uncle track that he did with Mark Lanigan called Another Night Out. Um, so we'd met a few years back um, and it'd been a very happy collaboration making that video. Um, and we've just we've kept in touch ever since. Um, and... Um, we're always talking about various projects. Um, uh, and basically, James, it was, a, it was a couple of years ago, mentioned to me, said, I'm, I'm planning to do this exhibition, uh, Daydreaming with Stanley Kubrick. Um, and he explained to me what it was, that it, he was getting together lots of different artists, um, filmmakers, um, conceptual artists, musicians, 
um, and uh, wanted them to make uh, pieces that are somehow inspired by Stanley Kubrick for this exhibition. Um, and I'm a huge Kubrick fan. Um, and, he, and he said, yeah, he asked, asked me if I was interested in doing something for it. And I said, yes. Uh, and I went off um, to have a ponder about what I could do. Um, and um, came up with the idea, came up with the sort of germ of the idea for the corridor. Um, and uh, I suggested it to James. And he loved the idea. And it sort of went from there. Um, that was quite a while ago, like I said, it was two years or so ago, and um, there was, and the, the whole exhibition looked like it was going to happen, sort of about about sort of yeah, about, about sort of eighteen months ago, uh, and then the funding collapsed, and so and it didn't it didn't happen, and so I thought it was all dead, uh, to be honest, um, and then suddenly James got back in contact with me just before Christmas this year, and said. Um, it's back on. Uh, they found a sponsor, um, Canon, and uh, it was going to happen at Somerset House. And did I still want to do it? And I said, of course, I'd love to. And so, so that's how it. That's all, all how it all came about, really. Now, did you know going into it that um, that James Levine had actually sent the track "Lonely Souls" to Kubrick? To as he wanted him to make it as like a, a music video. Yes, and. No, James had told. Well, basically, James had told me about that because um, I mean, basically, that's how. Yeah, I I did um, in a roundabout way because also that's how the fact that James because what had happened um, is uh, when James made um, when when Uncle made that seminal album, uh, science fiction. Um, he contacted uh, Stanley Kubrick. Um, to um, ask him if he'd do a, 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 the music video for, for Lonely Souls, um, which is a very James thing to do. Um, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's great at uh, nothing if not ambitious. And, um, uh, and amazingly, um, Kubrick, had, uh, Kubrick got back to him and said um, that he was interested and that um, uh, wanted to talk further on it, but he was in the middle of making a movie and um, that was taking up all his time. So to get back in contact and take it from uh, and, and uh, see what could, they could do after he'd finished the movie. And, of course, that movie was Eyes Wide Shut, um, which he famously died, I think, like the day after they finished editing it. Mm. Um, so that never happened. So, yeah, I, I did know about the whole, um, the whole Lonely Souls um, uh, and Kubrick connection but yeah but basically because he had that connection with Kubrick um, that's partly why the um, uh, exhibition could take place because despite the fact that Kubrick sadly passed away he kept in contact with the Kubrick family the uh, um, uh, Kubrick's widow and Kubrick's uh, old producer and uh, had kept talking with them and um, that's sort of why this exhibition could happen because it was all it was all officially endorsed and sanctioned by made in, in close collaboration actually with the Kubrick estate. But I, I, as as a filmmaker though, sort of going into to this project, it must have been a, a little bit daunting. Yes, maybe you know. Yeah, it's a, the mere idea of um, you know just the idea of doing something um, that's connected with Kubrick. 
um, uh, massively daunting or anything that's, you know, and, and, you know, the idea that I was doing the music video or, or something that the project that Kubrick never did, um, I'm not really. It's a, it's a nonsense to say that because who knows what Kubrick would have done, mm. done with Lonely Souls. But, yeah, <laughs> Uh, but, you know, a wonderful challenge as well at the same time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, the day I, I kind of left it sort of to the last minute to actually go to the exhibit. And um, uh, I went, I think it was on like the last weekend before it was due to finish. So had to queue for a you know fair while to get in there. Um, but obviously, you know, it was well worth the wait. And I was I was glad that I did. But um you know the room where your your video was playing uh you know on my first pass was really really crowded in there and it was like ah damn you know i want to see all of this and it's sort of hard to get in the room <laughs> but i persevered with it and uh I, I came back later and was able to watch the whole thing so i was like ah oh, yes this is cool uh and so when simon obviously said oh i've, I've you know got in touch with the guy that did that part i was like fantastic you know th this is really good because <laughs> how did you find because like what did you think about when that room was really busy because it was one there's sort of an unintentional thing that i quite liked actually when it when i saw it sometimes at somerset house was um because the, we, we didn't have in an ideal world I'd, I'd have had a bigger space um to to show the corridor uh, but so, but just due to the sort of the geography or the layout of some set house, all the rooms there were, were quite small, and so it was did get quite crammed. But one of the things I quite liked about that, which was a totally unintentional uh, thing, was that it, it sometimes we get so busy that people could only have to stand quite close to the screen, um, and then they and then the projection was going over them, and I quite liked yes. that element to it. Actually, I thought of uh, it was an unintentional sort of little touch that I found sort of quite charming. I know I know that did annoy some people though. What was what was your feeling about that? Well, yeah, I mean the the, the time I first went in there was exactly that problem. So, <laughs> um you, you you know some people would be so up against the walls that, that yeah. the projection would be partly over them and that they'd be like watching what was going on on the wall opposite um you know on on another part of the loop and uh, yeah. but but you're yeah. right i mean in a in a bizarre sort of installation art way um it did kind of add to it i suppose because it was like yeah. more characters in, in the hallway <laughs> so it added to the chaos of it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. But I, I i knew nothing about it so um because I, you, you know i i didn't read too much of the guide before going in because yeah. i kind of wanted it's a bit like the way i watch movies <laughs> I, I sometimes like to know nothing about them and, and sort of be surprised okay. and, and and with this um like for example i stood there and i was like oh Joanna Lumley's in it and oh look there's that Aidan Gillen bloke you know yeah. I, I didn't know who was going to be in it either and yeah. then of course you know the, there was the fun of sort of connecting the characters with with Kubrick's work so um uh you know yeah I, I I thought it I thought it worked what about you Simon because we didn't go we went at different times didn't we well I actually had a chance to see this uh edited into a music video because I was at the uh uncle live show at Somerset House Oh, okay. That was just before, wasn't it? Yes. Well, it was during. That. It was during, during yeah. yeah. Right, right. And I have to say, as a music video, it worked really well. I mean, 
I love the fact that not only is this like on an infinitive loop, but each bit tells a story and they interconnect. And I thought, I, you know, also seeing the the installation as well is, you know, it was interesting to compare the two. But um, I I did love seeing it as a music video edited together because it, it just works so well. And it was just great to see that each uh, corridor had its own storyline that, as I say, fed into one or the other. So um, I was wondering, I mean, how uh, how much how difficult was it to keep track of all this? What making the project? Yeah, because I mean, you've you've got four different corridors that interconnect, and also you have like two different storylines going on. Or well, four different storylines going on, because it's each each character's got their own storyline. So yeah, but I mean, one affects the other. So yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a nightmare. It was, a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it was a complete. It was a complete nightmare from from inception. To um, to final delivery, everything about this project um, was um, torturous um, and brain melting and um, <laughs> agonizing, genuinely agonizingly difficult. Um, I mean, when I um, after I came up with the original concept, I then I wrote the script in collaboration um, with uh, two absolutely brilliant minds. Um, uh, John Allison and Chris Bovell, who um, they run, they're, they're brilliant advertising creatives, actually. And they, they run um, Channel 4's uh, marketing department. So they do all the internal uh, advertisements for Chan Channel 4. They just, they've recently made that brilliant um, Paralympics um, promo. Oh, okay. uh, yes. They yes. And they did the rebranding of Channel 4 with all the Jonathan Glazier idents and everything. Um, and so we wrote the scripts I wrote it all together. And um, I couldn't have done it without them. Um, and they, and just running it with those guys, we were just tearing our hair, hair out uh, because it weren't just, there were so many challenges. So, I mean, like, first and foremost, each so in, in each on each uh, for each screen where you've got the same corridor and the different character in for each of those characters their narrative has to loop for infinity so we had to find a way that their their narrative could loop invisibly for infinity and then there was the fact that you had that and then basically as you've seen in the, in the installation uh, there's all these moments where. Um, one character from one screen is suddenly interacting with the character from the other screen, um, and then and then they're interacting with another character from another screen at the, at the same time. So basically, we were writing four scripts, and as we were writing these four scripts, we were we, you almost had to lay them out on the table next to each other uh, and sort of working out. Well, actually, now he's walked in. This character has walked into that war into that screen. And that character walked into that screen, so you had to time each one out for for that to work. And so it was this sort of um, sort of ridiculous uh, Rubik's cube of a sort of puzzle, uh, mapping out the the script for it all to work. And it was it was utterly torturous doing that. And then doing that, and um, and then trying to explain it to people um, for uh, <laughs> for pre production, 
um, and working all that out. Nobody quite got all, you know, lots. It would take about five meetings for anyone to, for people to fully understand what we were trying to do. Um, and then actually trying to physically shoot it and work out all these timings so that, because obviously we didn't shoot all four things at the same time, so we had to time it perfectly when we're shooting it to make sure that when you see it on one screen, it's actually happening at the same time. And so that was a nightmare. And then, and then doing the, the post-production, where there's, there's lots of invisible post-work in there that's been done amazingly mm. uh, by a company called MPC, which... Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, and, and they put in so much love love to it. So yeah, the whole process um, from start from inception to delivery was was torturously difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's curious because when I uh, watched the when I watched it as a music video, the the kind of the the two threads that came out. I know that you're saying this, there was four stories, but it, yeah. it, it seemed that two they were kind of like two stories that affected each other. So. So you had Joanna Lumley's uh, character who was worried about the plant. She was angry over something and you found out the plants were being poisoned by the little girl who yeah. was going along. Yeah. And then um, then you had the whole um, kind of Jack Torrance character who is being chased by this masked man and then becomes the masked man and starts chasing other people. Yeah, or, or chasing himself. And that seemed to be the two main threads. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I I think yeah you're right. There are I mean basically the um so yeah the Aidan Gillen um character who's actually um in the script we called him Mister and then the, the the guy in the um uh in the gas mask um who in the script we called Brute um they're 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 very much linked um and then the um, Joanna Lumley character, who we called the lady, and um, the little girl, who we called uh, Lily, they're very much linked. But again, but they also the, they also bleed into the other stories as well, because mm. like there's the moment when um, uh, the um, the Aidan Gillen character meets the lady, or uh, or you see uh, the little girl seeing the um, uh, the uh, the brute Bruce, character. Yeah. And so they yeah. all, all do mi in, intermingle um, very, very much so. And just one of our sort of a big reference for um, writing all these characters was basically it was, they were all slight riffs on um, the Greek legend of Sisyphus, um, who um, uh, he was, I don't know if you know the legend, but basically he's the guy who was uh, condemned by the gods to eternally roll uh, an incredibly heavy stone. Oh, yes, yes. I've, I, I know this. Um, there was a film, um, I think about six years ago, called Triangle, okay. where, where they, they, they went down a similar path. Yeah, okay. it was... Um, Militia George. Militia George, yeah, yeah. that's right. And uh, they, they, it was that was actually full of Kubrick references as well, because that's I think the cool. cabin was 237. That she was that she was in, yeah. So it was it was filled with a load of that stuff, also. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was the all connected. Yeah, the idea that all our all our protagonists had this narrative where they were trying to do something um, and are you know desperately trying to do it, and then they they you know get to this point, and then they just start back again at the the start. And they were all also riffs on. Um, John Allison did a lot of research into sort of Kubrick 
um, motifs and themes um, uh, in his films. And um, Kubrick's obsessed with power. And so they're all riffs on, they're different riffs on power, really. Well, that was the, the lovely thing was that it, it invoked those films without actually them being dressed up as the yeah. say the characters because uh the brute was obviously clockwork orange uh the lady was obviously uh barry linden uh the little girl um that's i would say is the little girl sh- from the shining well i'll tell you what i mean basically the whole the whole project no none of them are directly from anything we want mm. rather than do like direct um imitation we wanted we wanted to sort of evoke Kubrick and sort of have a nod and a wink so like you say the 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 guy in the gas mask he is he is clockwork orange but he's also paths of glory um oh okay or, or oh, right yeah, or, yeah okay. or metal jacket mm. um, because Kubrick you know an abiding theme of Kubrick was war um uh and so he's sort of lots of influences but very much um, the way he moves and his sort of swagger feels very clockwork orange. And then, yeah, the lady is very much a um, a um, uh, Barry Lyndon reference. And then, and then, you know what? When we had um, uh, the Aidan Gillen character, Mister, um, he wasn't. To be honest, to be when when he was written and on paper, he wasn't Jack Torrance. Um, and then, and Aidan came. And um, I don't think it was intentional from Aidan, and it wasn't intentional from me. Um, obviously, he ended up wearing that Jack Torrance shirt, but he just sort of, it's just something I think in Aidan and how Aidan played it, there was just, I think there's a little bit of Jack Nicholson in Aidan, and it just sort of came out. Um, and then the little girl, she's, you know, she's a nod to the twins in The Shining. Um, there's a and you know there's a little element of Lolita in there as well. Um, so there's sort of nods and winks in there rather than anything um, too overt, if that makes sense. No, I mean it, it works really well for for it because then you're you're as well as following what each character's doing in their own corridor. You're also going, well, which what film's that from, or what's that's been influenced by? That, that's that's very true. I mean, definitely when when I went to see it, um, you you know people were absolutely uh, connecting, you know, Mister with 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 The Shining, you know, with the Jack Torrance character yeah. and, and the Brute with with Clockwork Orange, and obviously yeah. Joanna Lumley with Barry Lyndon, etc. Um, and of course, you had what is it? Was it the butler and the maid in there? Is another yeah. couple of connecting yeah. characters. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you noticed, but in the um, basically, you so the lady has got her her flunkies, mm. uh, the the butler and the maid and and the page boy, and then uh, and they, but then also in the um, in the film with Aiden and and the brute, you, there's those three other characters. And uh, if you sort of pay close attention, they're played by exactly the same actors that are uh, playing the butler and the maid. Oh wow! Ah, right. Okay. <laughs> it was That's it was really hard to tell because they they look so different from <laughs> corridor to corridor. Yeah. Um, Damn! I should have I should have just cast uh, different actors. <laughs> do all sorts of tricks to manage to have them. <laughs> you'll see them in one film where they're dressed as the butler. Uh, or the or the eighteenth century girl, and, and then they're also in their other costume in the same film. So that involved 
all sorts of tricky stuff and uh, did everything. I'm sure they loved it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I bet, I bet, I bet, even though it was a complicated shoot, I bet it was a lot of fun. Um, it was a huge amount of fun. Um, I mean, just it was, it was very difficult because because we didn't have enough money, we had to shoot the whole thing in one day, um, and so um, uh, it was uh, it was very tricky to do. But yeah, everyone everyone loved doing it, and so um, yeah, I think everyone got a lot out of it. Wow, that is amazing for shooting in one day. <laughs> yeah. Wow, it is. Yeah, I can't believe you only did that. And I, I thought you meant like a day per segment. No, no, when we had to shoot the whole thing in one day. Uh, oh, my Lord. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's, that's, and each, each take for the four films is uh, roughly four minutes, 17 seconds. So there, that's four. Um, Four minute takes, single single tracking shots where everything has to go right. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, the, I think the gods were smiling on us as well because uh, it could have all gone horribly wrong. <laughs> wow! And what did you actually shoot this on? We shot this on uh, red with okay. um, a uh, with Panavision lenses, um, and basically it was. We had uh, basically the. Because we couldn't lay track, because you'd see the track, um, and it's just too long to have. I mean, initially, when we were planning this, I wanted to shoot this on um, motion control, um, because that's the only way that you could time it absolutely perfectly. Uh, I don't know if you know what, do you know, you guys yes. know what motion control Yeah, so we are going to shoot yeah. it on motion control, and that's the only way that you could do it and time it perfectly. Um, but to have motion control, um, uh, for that, we'd need, uh, it would basically have to be on track. Um, and the only way we could have it on track um, would be if we built the track and then painted that all out in post-production afterwards, which would have been a, an enormous job um, for, uh, you know, because that shot lasts four minutes. And it's, it's just also, it's a huge amount of track. So in the end, we had um, what's, what's basically a wheelchair dolly. So it was on a wheelchair dolly. The camera, and then it was on a um, sort of on a remote motorized head, um, like a very basically a very expensive gimbal, um, and so that was sort of balancing it, um, and so we had that, and then and then in post production it was the shot was sort of further steadied, and uh, basically we had an amazing grip um, who managed just you know just from skill he could wow. Time to do to do that walk in the in uh, in the right amount of um, seconds, and basically we marked the floor that you know when he was for every thirty seconds the floor was marked, so he he knew that he had to get to certain points um, in timing. And our first AD was there with his stopwatch and shouting out, "You have to be here, you have to be there," blah blah blah. So it was it was tricky. Wow, that is, I mean, kudos to that dolly grip big time <laughs> because, because I, I must admit, when I watched it, you know, you always try and figure out how somebody did something and, and I, I would have automatically assumed motion control because, okay. of, because of timing all, all of them the same. So that's incredible dolly work. Yeah, yeah. No, it's amazing. And, it's, you know, I mean, it was, the camera team overall was, was brilliant. Our DOP was a, uh, a brilliant DOP called Ed Wilde. He's a very, very good um, features DOP who um, I've worked with um, for 
a few years. And I think without Ed, it probably wouldn't have been possible because he's so good technically. Um, uh, and he sort of, his brains made that possible. So it would have been impossible without Ed, I think. Wow. And you, and you didn't have to use, uh, I was expecting you at one point to say you had to use Canon kit because of them the, being <laughs> the sponsor. <laughs> well, no, we didn't, we didn't use Canon kit for, sh- for shooting. Um, but we used, um, Canon kit was very instrumental in us being able to project it in that space. So we used the, the Canon kit really came into the fore for, um, how we showed it. It wouldn't have been, uh, possible without that Canon kit, uh, to show it in that small space that we had. So that's how they became involved. Really. Now I'm, I'm curious to know, are, are we ever going to see the edited version of the corridor come out? either as a short or as a music video? Well, it, well, basically, so what you saw at um, the Uncle Live show mm-hmm. was um, uh, James wanted to have the, the corridor visuals for when Lonely Souls came on. And so um, uh, myself and my editor, um, Julian Egiguru, we, uh, we did a little edit of the corridor for that, but it was very sort of what we did for. I was I liked what we did for Somerset House, but it was very rough and ready. We sort of knocked that out in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but so it is. It is going to come out in an online form, but whether it's and it it might very likely it will come out as the music video for Lonely Souls because there's plans to reissue do a twentieth. 20 year anniversary reissue of science fiction. So it might well come out for that. But whether it comes out as you saw it in that edited way or a different way is still under discussion because um, whilst I liked how it, how it worked, edited to the thing, um, edited to the track, I really liked it. I thought it worked really well. Um, I'd, I'd love to somehow encapsulate in an online way, how the exhibition was. Um, so we might be doing something else. We might do, we might put it out as VR, as part of doing that, so yeah. you can feel that you're actually in in the in the room, and you can uh, you can turn and look at the different screens. Um, or it might be something that we do whereby um, you're watching it on like YouTube, and you press a button, and you can go to a next screen, and you can go to the next screen. We're we're still working out how we can put it out online and, and still keep that spirit of the original way you sort of, you had this flavor of all the different narratives going and, and also the fact that it was infinite. I mean, or you could do all of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, potentially. I mean, it does, I mean, it isn't, it, it does work really nicely mm. when it's, when you cut the different, um, cut them together. Cause you've got, cause you've got that unifying thing of it all having that same speed tracking shot. It does work nicely. So, um, I, you know, I think I think I need to sort of have a bit more of a, a play and see what we can do, really. But yeah, I'm be, I, we want it will come out in an online form at some point. Uh, that's no, that's great to say here. Sorry. <laughs> uh, of course, we we've we've sort of dived and rightly so. We you know we've dived straight into the uh, the, the Stanley Kubrick um, exhibit here and 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 this particular part, the corridor. Um, but just, just really well. I mean, it's for the benefit of us, but also our, our listeners, because um, I want to delve into some of your other work uh, as we go through this podcast. But can you give us a little bit of um, 
background on yourself and sort of you know what inspired you to get into into filmmaking and obviously you know we know you've done some work with RSA for example uh you're represented by them and and just sort of give us a little bit of background as to, as to you and and where you come from um so yeah gosh background on me um so yeah i mean i've been working um in sort of film and television um all, all my adult life um and i always knew i wanted to uh direct um i'm from i'm from derbyshire and when i was a, a kid uh the little cinema in derby called the metro cinema um little art house uh cinema and i used to be a projectionist there um when i was like 18 19 um and so i uh, uh i watched an awful lot of films um and uh my background is um i actually got into documentary um originally um and uh sort of in my 20s making lots of uh documentaries for mostly for channel 4 um particularly when they had they don't have it so much, but there used to be these nice, like, late night, 10 o'clock, uh, 11 o'clock slot documentaries on Channel 4 where you could do these interesting, quirky little documentaries. Um, and so originally I, was, I, was, uh, I got into film. I got my break as being a director, really doing documentaries for Channel 4. Um, and then, uh, but my goal's always been, I'm, I'm, I love drama and feature films. That's what I want to do eventually. Um, and I sort of, from, from my documentary work, um, I got approached by um, Massive Attack uh, and Black Dog Films, who were part of Ridley Scott Associates, uh, to make a music video, because Massive Attack wanted a, a doco director to uh, make a music video for them. And so I made this uh, documentary music video for a, a Massive Attack track called uh, Paradise Circus. Um, and that sort of led to me then moving more into um, music videos and, and commercials with Ridley Scott Associates. So that's sort of that's what I've been dipping my toe into um, mostly recently. Uh, so that's sort of the potted version of me. If that makes sense. <laughs> well, I was just going to say. Um, I mean, bringing up um, Paradise Circus. Um, I mean, just just watching the the video you sent me. Um, over the internet, I mean, um, using clips from um, is it the devil in yeah, devil the devil Miss yeah. Miller, yeah. Miss I, yeah. I mean, how I mean, how was that received? Because I mean, it it is hardcore porn in there. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, well, it was received uh, amazingly well. Um, what's annoying? I mean, it it, it wrapped up absolutely millions and millions of um, views. Um, uh, what's annoying actually about it is because it's got um, hardcore porn in there um, uh, that um, it got kept on getting taken down by uh, YouTube and, uh, and uh, Vimeo. Vimeo let it go up now uh, because I think they realised that it's, it's not, well it's got porn in it but it's not porn, if that makes sense uh, it's the, well, the, the video isn't it, it's art so it's well, kind of um, uh, but so basically, it was all, it wrapped up all these views on the the, uh, the massive attack site, but then also got really well reviewed as well. 
um, and uh, nominated for awards. It got nominated for a DNAD award, and it was in the Creative Review Annual. It was the best in the book, and and all sorts of stuff. And um, I think it got nominated at the um, uh, the UK um, Music Video Awards as well. So it got really well received, mm. um, and um, yeah, uh, it was sort of um, went down very well. And it's, it's still one of I'm very proud of it. It's one of yeah, bad choice of words. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, it, uh, I mean it, it. really, it really is an interesting video. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I watched it and I was like, oh wow, well you watched a lot of seventies porn <laughs> as research for this one. But but it was quite funny because it made me laugh because it made me laugh at myself because when I first heard it. I obviously associated it as being, you know, oh, this 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 is the song that they use for the theme tune for Luther. Yeah, Neil Cross's Luther. But then I thought to myself, that's like me saying to a proper musician that the William Tell overture is the long Lone Ranger theme, you know what I mean? So yeah. Yeah. The, the, the original idea for the, the music video was um it, it was interesting it, it really was i just wanted because i knew about um georgina spelvin who's the the lady in the video who's um who's who you see as a much younger person in devil and miss jones and it's um and i'd sort of i'd seen footage i'd, I'd actually spoken to her uh, for a documentary i was researching um before and i knew how interesting she was so the idea of the video really was um uh Sex being talked talked about from the perspective of um, an old person. You, you you know, it's bizarre, but you never hear that. It's sort of, it's almost seen as taboo. So that was the original idea behind the video. Um, and um, and then, as often happens, I find when you do documentary projects, and if you do them properly and and with a sort of open mind, you, the the films can change into something else. Um, while you're making them with, with the results you get. And it, it did change from my original, what the film was going to be like originally, uh, how it was changed when I was making it in, in the editing process. In the, in the editing process, um, uh, from Georgina Spelling's interview, it became less, initially I thought it was going to be sort of a very porn positive film, but then in, her inter in the interview she said lots of things um, uh, which made it, definitely more ambiguous about that and so it, sort of, it was very interesting that that one and, and the, the decision about it was a very conscious decision to include the the proper hardcore pornography from that film in the in the video um because i think to do anything else would have been sort of um missing the points somewhat if you know what i mean if, i think you're going to talk about that stuff um you should uh, be prepared to show it so it was sort of, a, but it, but it had hasn't meant that that video has been seen less uh, than it, it would have otherwise. I still, I still do it again over uh, a million times. If that makes sense. Well, definitely. I mean, I've heard an interview with Georgina Splevin, and um, uh, much of what she talks about in the video was also in that uh, interview. Okay. And, yeah, and because she's somebody who's very candid about her past. Yeah, she's she's a, and she's very she's one of the the best people I've ever interviewed. I mean, she's just sort of very candid, very intelligent, um, and um, understands herself 
Um, and she's, I mean, she's amazing. She's an amazing woman. And I, I did that interview with her. Uh, she lives in Hollywood hmm. in this lovely house just underneath the Hollywood sign. Um, and um, I remember doing that interview and sort of we, we talked to each other sort of for about a month leading up to the interview. Uh, and so I sort of got to know her quite well. And uh, I mean, it's it's her that makes that, that film completely because she's so she's such a fine and so interesting. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Though, uh, does she tell you any police academy stories? <laughs> I did police <laughs> academy stories. <laughs> well, if if you don't realise, Keith, um, she was uh, the prostitute in police That's academy. Right. Yeah. yeah, no, no, no. I was aware of that. Oh, you yeah. were aware. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's why I chuckled when you said it. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, no, I mean, I mean, you know, it, it works well, and uh, um. You know, thank you for sending us, by the way. Uh, I mean, I know, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast, that people can see some of your work via your website, etc. But you also were kind enough to send myself and Simon a, a, a private link so we, we, we could watch some of it. And yeah. um, uh, one of one of the video, I mean, they're, they're all, I have to say, you know, all, all of the work on there is very impressive. I, I sort of said to Simon, oh, my God, I watch this stuff and I, I feel like a phony for, for, you know, I feel like an amateur <laughs> filmmaker after watching a lot of this. Oh, but um, what one of them that really stood out to me as being incredibly clever, and I thought I've got to ask you about this, <clears throat> is the one um, you're only as old as you move. Is, is, oh, is that right? Of yeah, the Voltaren one. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that, yeah, that was a nice one to. That was a nice. I mean, like it's. I mean, that's a commercial. Um, and um, the thing, I'm very proud of it actually. And the thing with um, commercials is uh, the deal with commercials. I think is sort of as a filmmaker, you've given all, all this money to make it. You have. You can. You can. Uh, you can hire the best crews, and you can get all the best t uh, toys. Uh, but the sort of the, the Faustian pack pact you're in is um, you know you're making it for someone else and it's not your film it's whole, wholly owned by someone else and uh, what often happens um, more often than not is that um, the film that you wanted to make doesn't happen because the client changes it for for whatever reason um, and so often with commercials you know. Uh, you don't end up with what you wanted, but with with that one, the Voltaren film, um, uh, we did, and um, the, the, I got approached by the agency for that. It was made for Saatchi's and Saatchi's, and they had this idea that um, they wanted to do a shadow play, um, and they wanted the shadow play to be the story of um, uh, two young kids, um, a boy and a girl. Uh, you, you see them at, as you know very young children six seven years old playing and you see them growing old uh, all in shadow and getting married and having kids and um, uh, and basically all in dance and it's very athletic and then the camera flies behind the back of the shadow the, the screen and you reveal that this whole shadow play that's been incredibly um, uh, energetic has all been done by two old people um and uh the idea because it's this brand called Voltaren, which is like ibuprofen gel which uh is good for joints if you're if you've got stiff joints and particularly good for old people so the, the the tagline was you're only as old as you move so they suggested this idea to me 
And then I, I loved it. I thought it was great. And I had this other idea to add to it that to, we could make more of the reveal afterwards by actually really showing how this, this, old, two old, this old pair did the whole shadow play. So it's lovely. You know, you can do the whole wizard behind the curtains thing. And my idea was to then sort of play it all, play them doing the shadow play behind the screen backwards. So it all moves backwards. Um, and uh, the, the uh, Sarchis and the client like the idea, so let me do it. Um, and uh, yeah, it turned out into this this film that uh, I'm very I'm very pleased of. Um, and we were lucky to find, and again, the, the couple that are in that film, uh, amazing couple called Marion and Digger, uh, had never been on camera before. They 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 danced all life all their life together. Um, but never been on camera before, so they were a sort of real find, and they did do they did do that shadow play that you saw in the in the uh, in the commercial for for real. Um, so uh, they were they were kind of amazing. But no, I'm glad you picked up on that one. I, it's one of the ones that I'm fond of. Well, it's also very clever in so much as is you make it um, appear as if it's sort of done in one take as well, which is, yeah. which is quite clever. Yeah. <laughs> that um yeah it, it's not that well the uh the, the bit the shadow play bit at the start's not that far away from one take it's uh it, it nearly it nearly was actually to be honest um so it, that was kind of like um some you know that was again like the corridor slightly foolishly ambitious but we got kind of got lucky and, and it happened on the day well i love the little documentary you've got for it as well where oh, you yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, well, because they're an amazing cat pair, aren't they? Yeah, they're, uh, they're just incredibly charming, and it was like it, you know, and they were just so nice to work with. Um, it's interesting, actually, just in that um, in the documentary, you see their choreographer, mm. don't you? Um, who's this uh, wonderful woman called Caroline uh, Caroline Pope? Um, and basically, um, uh, Caroline. Um, enjoyed working with Caroline so much she then actually she was on board for uh, she helped me for the corridor basically she was my movement director for the corridor so she was involved heavily throughout that and so that one of the reasons in the corridor you see that that the movements are so nice and interesting and especially with the the the, the world war ii character in the gas mask um is because Caroline was there and she worked very heavily with the actors, sort of giving, making that really expressive movement. Oh, that's no, that's that's great. I mean, I I I know from personal experience that uh, you know when you work with people, then you know if if you get on, you usually then tend to come back and work with them again that and stuff. Great. Now, I have to ask, what came first? Was it the documentary, the circus, or was it the Uncle music video? <laughs> Oh no, the um, the uncle video came first, um, and basically what happened, what how the circus came about is I got approached by Channel Four, um, and they wanted me to um, uh, make uh, some documentaries for the. This was after I'd made um, the uh, the uncle video, and. Um, I hadn't been making documentaries. I'd, I'd stopped making documentaries for television uh, for a few years, but I got approached by Channel 4, and they wanted me to make something for them. And so they gave me uh, a sort of chunk of money, development money, 
to um, come up with ideas for them. And um, because I knew about uh, the circus from making the Uncle video, because I shot the, the Uncle video at this place called the, the Circus Tavern in Essex, um, which is an amazing place. Um, it's like an old, um, a very old club that's been around for, for decades. And I wanted to make this series based at the, the Circus Tavern, where they put on boxing nights, uh, they have they put on variety entertainment, and they've got a strip club. So I thought it was a perfect place for a documentary. Uh, and so I made this little, so that the circus is, is basically, it's just a little taster tape mm. um, that I presented to Channel 4 to say, look, this is sort of what you'd get in the documentary. Let's go off and make it. And, we, and the idea was that it was going to be a series, three one-hours, um, focusing on the different facets. One, 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 one night, one episode focusing on the boxing, one episode focusing on the variety club element, and one, one, one uh, uh, episode focusing on focusing on the strip club. And the, and the abiding theme of the whole show was entertainment, because mm. uh, all of them, all the people viewed themselves as entertainers in some way or another. The boxers did, uh, and the strippers did actually. Uh, so that was the idea behind that, but uh, it never got off the ground at Channel Four, unfortunately. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Now, I I have to wonder the the girl who was on the uh, doing the pole dancing be, uh, behind the, the the owner. How yeah. long was she doing that for? She seemed to be doing it for quite a long time. Well, that, that's we cheated with that. Uh, um, so basically, that's all digital. Um, so we I shot the interview with the owner separately to um uh her dancing on the pole and we just uh stitched it all together in post okay yeah. oh so you're not that cruel then yeah no because <laughs> it is kind of funny because you you are watching him yeah and then, but in the background you can see this girl just go yeah. through her act and it's like yeah. and also makes you wonder so you know you know, when in his off time, does he just like watching the the strippers dance and stuff? <laughs> well, he does. Um, yeah, uh, he's actually the owner of the circus tavern, and he's amazing on camera. I mean, it's uh, I'm quite sad that that never came came off. I think it would have been a really, I think it would have been a brilliant little series. I think, but anyway, there you go. You win some, you lose some. Well, you yeah, but you've won you've won a lot here. I mean, what what one of the other ones I, I wanted to well, I mean, there's loads we want to talk about, but um, just because I kind of like the message behind this one as well is you've got the one that you did for Purcell called Free yeah. the Kids, yeah. and I wonder whether you could talk a bit about that because I thought I thought that was very interesting. Um, yeah. I was like, I, I find the message behind it, <laughs> especially you know you, we talk about the. You know, we sound like old farts when we say it, but we talk about the millennials and 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 you know how they 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 don't you know they spend too much time um, playing video games or, or watching TV or, or whatever you know. And uh, I just thought that um, the the way you sort of attack that that message with with tying it in with the personal products as well was really interesting. So yeah, could I mean, you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that was a, a really nice project to work on. Uh, as well, I mean, basically, the background to that project was um, Purcell, um, they have this campaign for Purcell, uh, which is uh, promoting uh, child welfare. And um, they'd come across this statistic um, that uh, the average child 
uh, spends half as long uh, every day uh, outside than the average prison inmate, which is a brilliant statistic. Um, and they wanted to uh, turn this into a uh, into their commercial for for Purcell. Um, uh, and basically, we got talking about this this idea, and they and they want the big thing is that the they wanted to to do it for real, so they wanted to um, go to a real prison and uh, film with the prisoners, um, and then basically um, ask them about uh, how they value their free time, uh, and then um, and then reveal this fact that they spend uh, uh, basically twice as long outdoors as, as the average child and get the reaction of the prisoners. Um, and so just sort of the reality of trying to film that, try and film a television commercial um, in, a, in a working prison is quite a challenge. Um, so the, it took a very long time to actually find a prison where we could film it. Um, uh, but we did. In the end, in uh, Indianapolis, in uh, in the states, and um, spent about three days filming there um, with uh, in, a, in a what's called a supermax prison. So it's like it's like the, the highest category prison you can you can get. Um, and it was fascinating filming there, actually, to be honest, and speaking with the inmates. They were the they were some of the best interviewees I've ever had. Um, and certainly when you went talking on themselves, and I think the reason for that is if you're a prisoner, you, you have, you have uh, a lot of time to think about your life. And, uh, and, um, and so they had very sort of uh, advanced and considered um, musings on, them, on themselves. Um, and so they were great to film with. And, so, and, that, and that turned out into a, a really nice, interesting little film I was, I was pleased with that one i was just uh curious um a, a point you brought up there about um that you know personal came to you with this idea um do you find when you're doing like commercials and music videos that um the the idea is already there or do you have to like they say well like with a music video here's the music and then you have to come up with what the the video is going to be with the with mu with music videos, the idea is never there. They just give you the track, uh, and sometimes there might be a tiny, there might be a, a small brief. They might say they want it to be a performance video, or or sometimes actually sometimes there's a very detailed brief. Mm. Uh, but but I don't pitch, I don't go in for those ones. Generally speaking, I I take the music videos that I've done have all been entirely my idea. Um, and I'll, I'm only really interested in, in the music videos where I'll be given free reign to, to come up with the, with the idea. Uh, and with commercials, it's not quite the same. Well, it's not the same at all. There'll, there'll be the advertising agency and the, the creators will have come up with a, a concept. And as a director, it's, it's your job uh, to basically uh, say how you'd interpret uh, their concept. Um, that will, and you can, you know, you can, you can interpret it very faithfully and literally, or you can go off in tangents and change it a lot. Um, and I'm sort of, you know, my, generally speaking, I'm sort of, depending on the project, I might change it incredibly or, or normally it's sort of somewhere in between. 
um, where some elements are faithful and, and there's big changes you make. Like, like the Voltaren uh, film uh, with the shadow play, um, I, I changed it dramatically with adding the whole reversed element. And then with, the, say, the personal one, um, a big element that was never there, the germ of the, the idea, and the, the concepts, all the agencies, I can't take credit for that, but the big element that I brought into it that was never there in the um, original idea was the, 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 the film starts with um, a prison inmate musing on what it is to live without freedom um, and what's been taken away from him, uh, which was never there in the original concept. But I sort of felt that was very important. And it, it seemed like an obvious thing to do if you're, if you're talking to prisoners about freedom. Well, about, if there's a film about uh, child free, a broad theme is freedom because it's child freedom and... and uh, you should speak to, and you're in a prison, and you're speaking to the people who really know what it means not to have freedom. That's an element to have. So I think, like, uh, I think your a director will always bring their slant to something and uh, uh, give it their twist. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I, I've never obviously done anything on the scale or level that you have, but I've I've done some. Uh, bits of stuff for the web for like Nokia and um, Panasonic and and companies like that in the past and and yeah they I, they've always sort of had a brief but um, you, you know a project brief but you you've been able to sort of bring your own interpretation yeah. to it to a certain extent but obviously yeah. there's 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 always so many people putting their um their ideas in and, and yeah. as, as well you know <laughs> yeah and different you know depending on the collaboration those ideas will be sort of embraced and uh uh and taken on board or not i mean like as a director um you know we can only be as good as our our clients allow us to be you know um and the budget <laughs> and, the budget, and the budget but you know i think really it's very much i'm a firm believer in you know if you you, you are you're you're only as good as your client will let you be so if you've got a very open and sort of um broad-minded or interesting client they'll they'll give you the free reign to really shine and do something really um impressive and and do and do do your best work for them whereas you might have a client that's that's uh less enlightened and uh, it's nothing, you know. You can. It's like you can uh, take a horse, take a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So uh, I think you can only be as good as your client will let you. If that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love the music video you did uh, called Murmur. Oh, thank you. Oh, Elliot Power was that one? Yeah, the, yeah. the car one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you seem to encapsulate the whole of London. <laughs> that car got around i mean was was that one night or was that several nights? no 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 god no um <laughs> i mean basically how that video was shot that was shot just after um um this little sony camera called the sony a7s you, oh you yes guys probably yeah you shoot you know it and it's yeah. very good in low light yeah. um and um and I just got, got one of these little Sony cameras um, and seen how amazing it was in low light. Uh, and I wanted to shoot a video all at night time. And so basically that one, uh, it's sort of, and again, a lot of my projects do mix 
uh, sort of drama and documentary elements. So basically, what that video was, um, it was actually about it was actually about a seven day shoot, seven night shoot. Um, basically, me and my producer uh, Rebecca Mills um, drove around in my car around London for about six nights. Rebecca drove. Um, as I filmed out the back window, um, <laughs> anything I could see in London uh, that was interesting. Um, and this was in the height, stupidly I decided to shoot this video in the height of summer. And so it only was getting dark at about like 11 o'clock at night. And so we couldn't start till about 11 o'clock at night. And then we just drive all around London, just shooting endlessly. Uh, and so then I had all this footage of London. And then we had one night um, with the... Uh, with the band um, and proper crew and um, an amazing DOP called Lol Crawley, where we shot all the stuff with the band, and then we sort of stitched it all together. Mm. No, it, it works in- incredibly well. I mean, it, it gives you that sense of uh, what the nightlife could be like in London. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I, I was quite impressed. <laughs> yeah, no, I was impressed by that and the whole sort of, you know, it had that sort of real sodium lighting, you know, feel yeah, that London yeah. London night does and, uh, and 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 loved the fact that, you know, they were rocking around in a, in an old was that a Ford Cortina or something? It was quite an old old car, wasn't it? Cortina and uh, it's not actually the car I wanted. I wanted an old um I wanted an old Mercedes, but we couldn't get one. And then we chanced upon this old Paul Cortina, which was, you know, I think often the, the best, a lot of the, the best things turn out, happen by chance. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I, that Cortina looks amazing. I loved it. Um, uh, it was slightly, if you watch the video again, you'll see that the car's slightly lopsided. It always sort of slopes to one side. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the car's uh, gives it Gives the car character. Yeah, 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 it gives the car a Dutch angle. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Said about the the sodium lights and all that. I mean, like that was something I I adore, you know, like you know something about shooting cities uh, by night on on video is something that it's, it's a it's a look that I've always loved. I mean, I'm a big fan of Michael Mann. Um, Yay! And, uh, yeah, huge fan. And I love that aesthetic that he he has with in, in films from like Collateral to Heat uh, and even Miami Vice. Uh, so it's you know it was very much a look I, I was interested in. Yeah. Now it's funny. I, I I watching it. I thought it had a bit of a Michael Mann feel because uh, if you've li- listened to any of mine and Simon's podcasts, you'll you'll know that we're big fans. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Got to ask uh, now. This is this is a, a video that perhaps um, the general public sort of won't necessarily have access to because I know you very sent, kindly sent us a link to this, but I f- found it fascinating. Uh, was your documentary called Body Snatchers of New York? Okay, um, yeah. Could you? I, th- I think we definitely need to delve into that one a little bit. Without, I, I guess. Without ruining it too much, but uh. <laughs> yeah, well, so that was um, that was made for um, True Stories on Channel Four, um, and so the, basically that documentary uh, is well. I didn't before I started researching that documentary. I was unaware, as I think most people are, <coughs> that there's a legal trade in. Uh, 
bone, skin, and tissue uh, taken from from corpses. Uh, and these uh, bone, skin, and tissue is, is used for skin grafts or for or the bones ground up, and it's put into um, uh, it's used in surgery to, to put into bones and things like that. Uh, but and it's a multi-billion-dollar industry. The companies that that um, provide all this stuff are traded on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and it's a huge industry. Um, but uh, the to the to donate to all all bone, skin, and tissue um, has to be taken from people that have given their consent and the next of kin have given consent. Um, but. What had happened? Uh, this what happened. It turned out there was a uh, a gang in New York that were bribing funeral fathers, paying them uh, a thousand uh, dollars per corpse uh, to harvest um, the tissue, the bone, skin, um, and tissue from these corpses, uh, and sell them on to these big corporations. And this gang made millions and millions of dollars um, in the period of. Uh, about three years before they were discovered um, by the NYPD and prosecuted, um, and um, so that's the, the it, that's the story in a nutshell. And the, and the documentary um, is told from multiple perspectives. It's told from the perspective of the body snatchers, from the um, the NYPD, or the, the people that prosecuted them, and then the perspective also of um, uh, some of the families that discovered their loved ones' uh, bodies had been used, uh, corpses had been used and harvested, and and then also the perspective of um, someone who actually found they had this stolen tissue put into their body. So it's done from all those different perspectives. I mean, it was uh, was quite shocking, and then to actually sort of see the guys who perpetrated it, and they seem to be, I know, kind of. Uh, not nice, but not they weren't like evil people. Well, yeah, I mean, like they weren't evil people, and I, th I think you know, I think, um, I think evil can be done by people who aren't evil. Um, and uh, I think, I mean, one of the things that I do in all my films, and particularly my documentary films, is um. I like to, you know, to sort of uh, let the audience make up their own mind. Uh, so I'll let, I'll let people speak. And I like to, I don't want to present people just as two-dimensional goodies or baddies. Mm. Um, and so I, I'd like... You remain to... agnostic about it all, yeah, don't yeah, you? Yeah, and I, I like to think, or I hope to think, that um, present people in a, in a sort of... Let, let, them, let them speak for themselves and... Um, and uh, don't don't uh, uh, paint, you know. Don't present people as two dim two dimensional. I think I think you know, I, you know, and and even you know, even people who we uh, perceive as being evil uh, or doing evil deeds, they never think they're evil themselves. They, uh, you know, everyone will. They all think uh, they're um, they're good people, whether they are or not, is a, is a matter for uh, discussion. But. Uh, yeah, I think that dichotomy is interesting. And I noticed on on that documentary that you you were your own cinematographer on that. Um, uh, how how was it like, sort of, you know, 
being I, I guess were you kind of like a one-man band on that one or uh, no, no well I mean like I was I, I shot it myself we had no money so I had to shoot it myself um, uh, but uh, I basically I went around America shooting uh, with my uh, producer Ed Buckley uh, who was amazing um, and uh, we also had back in London um, exec producer Denise Castelli, who actually uncovered the story in, in the first place. So, so it was a very small team, mm. um, uh, but definitely not one man, not one man band. And that was that was cut uh, by uh, Julian Ekaguren, who's been sort of ever since we cut uh, the um, Massive Attack video together, and basically we've cut together ever since. Uh, so it was a small team, but definitely not one man band. But I do sometimes shoot myself, like the. Um, the personal uh, commercial um, I shot myself uh, I, and that was actually because when we were in the prison uh, we could only take in a crew of three people so it wasn't practical to have another person uh, and so okay, unlike the Voltaren um, documentary that you saw that went along with the, the commercial I shot that so you know if, if it's a documentary I'll often just shoot it myself it makes more sense I think Oh no! I ask because um, I also shoot myself, and um, um, it, it, for me, it came out of um, I felt that I I wasn't quite in a position where I could get my ideas over to a DOP. So I thought, well, I'll just if I just remove the DOP and become the DOP myself, then yeah. I don't have to have that conversation. And I, I've gotten a lot better. I've um, I, I've worked with quite a few DOPs uh, since my first short film, but I. I tend to attend a lot of my stuff. I've I've shot myself, so I know. Do you do you prefer shooting stuff yourself? It's interesting, it's interesting what you said about like you couldn't communicate what you wanted to a DOP, mm. and it it's sort of that mindset with me if I'm shooting documentary because the thing is with documentary is uh, you've just got to capture it there and then. Uh, there's no second takes. Uh, and so if I've got a, a DOP, they can't read my mind. They don't know what I'm particularly interested in, how, what angle or what I want to focus on shooting when something's occurring. Um, so in that instance, if it's documentary, it makes much more sense that I'm shooting it. So, uh, uh, so, I, so I get exactly what I want. But, but if it's in a drama situation or um, something more set up, like a music video or commercial, Obviously, that's planned a lot, and uh, you know I can communicate what I want to a DOP before that, and they can they can capture it much better than I can. So, if it's documentary, I like to shoot it myself. If it's if it's not generally speaking, I don't like to shoot it myself because I'm sort of I'm reasonably confident with a camera, but I'm nowhere at the level of a of a good DOP. This is true. I mean, uh, with like um, the the Shadow Play commercial, I mean it's. Um, you 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 need a you certainly need a whole team of people to do that oh, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. completely. So I do I do I do enjoy self shooting. Um, I, I like it a lot, um, especially because I have a very specific way that I like to frame things. Um, but um, I think you know different styles for different projects. Oh, certainly. No, absolutely. And what about I mean from the. Um post-production side of things i mean you you you've mentioned uh that, that, that you've been collaborating with this editor on on several product uh, yeah. projects um 
do you do you tend to let the, the your editor uh, work with the material and have sort of a first pass and then come in and make notes, or do, or do you literally sit and edit with with this guy? No, I think very much the former. Um, I think it makes sense for me to stand back a little bit um, initially. And, um, I mean, Julian's an amazing editor. And any good editor, you want to let them have, have their play, really, rather than me breathing down their neck. Um, and, then, and, then, and then come in and then... So basically, leave, leave the editor alone with the material for a bit. And then, and then once they've had time to sort of get their head around it and, and have, have played around with it, then... I, I sit in and it's much more intensively working together. Just sort of bring it back round to Kubrick. Um, the, what was the first film of Kubrick's you saw? What, when did you get into, into his films? Probably, um, like everyone else of, of, of my generation, probably the, uh, probably the Shining, I imagine. And like the thing with Kubrick, I, I think when I first saw the Shining, I wasn't very impressed with it. Um, uh, you know, because I think, and I remember the first time I saw um, Barry Lyndon, I hated it. I thought it was awful. Uh, and now it's one of my favourite films. Um, I think Kubrick, from, uh, Kubrick is certainly um, a filmmaker that I've appreciated more as I've got older. Um, but, um, and, uh, for a long, but for a long time, my favourite Kubrick film was Dr. Strangelove, actually. I do like that film a lot. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. Actually, it makes me feel a bit better because uh, when we did our Kubrick one, I kind of did fess up to exactly the same thing. In so much as uh, you know, when I was a kid, you know, you know, it was starting to become interested in films and adolescent, teen, young teen, or whatever. Um, I didn't exactly sort of get Kubrick uh, at the time, and it was it was you know once I became an adult and started to get more of an appreciation of film and and then you know began to realize what a genius he actually was you know yeah, um but but yeah. but what what about i mean growing up what what were your sort of um filmmaker heroes i mean you've already mentioned michael mann which is cool <laughs> yeah. uh filmmaking heroes scorsese i i like uh i do like uh genre films and uh, I was, you know, as a kid, I was a massive fan of gangster films. So it was all Scorsese, um, David Lynch, love David Lynch, westerns as well. Sergio Leone, Sam Peckinpah, um, and also I loved um, uh, old film noir um, and uh, Jack Turner uh, out of the past. That was an amazing film. Um, and also you know, other gangster films, uh, Takeshi Kitano, the, you know, the Japanese director. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, uh, Minion One films. And also I think sort of when I was a kid, very much uh, uh, that was sort of, there were the music video directors as well, the likes, likes of Mark Romanek and uh, Glazer's old videos and even Chris Cunningham and all that. So, you know, it's sort of a sort of broad mix. Probably... You probably could describe it as very boyish films. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had a chance to ever meet any of your directing heroes? Yeah. Um, I've discovered it's generally best not to meet your heroes, though. <laughs> oh, uh, really? Yeah. I mean, sometimes that I met, um, I met 
Tarantino, bizarrely, in a in a uh, bar in uh, in Iceland uh, with with Rizza from the Wu Tang Clan, okay. uh, um, and uh, he turned out to be lovely and incredibly charming. Um, uh, and then there's others I've met that've been less less charming. But um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I want to meet them. To be honest, I think it's always better. Uh, I've just I've decided, generally speaking, it's best not to meet your heroes. Well, saying that, but I mean, uh, some of them they actually do live up to their reputation. I mean, yeah. I, I met John Landis for like an hour, and he yeah. was everything I sort of expected him to be. John Landis is br- John Landis is brilliant. I've oh. I've uh, interviewed John Landis a couple of times, and I've actually um, spoke. I've both I've uh, I've stood on John Landis's lawn in LA um, <laughs> and um, he called me a cocksucker uh, <laughs> in the most charming way yes. uh, John Landis is brilliant he's hilarious and and, uh, and uh, he's not a hero of mine uh, but I, um, I, I I thought he was uh, I'm, a big, I'm a huge fan of his and he's, he's very entertaining well I, I, I imagine Scorsese you know he does so many interviews and stuff that he, that he he always comes across the same way. So I imagine he's exactly like that in real yeah. life. I mean, one thing I did um, one uh, was a period when I was doing lots of uh, documentaries on uh, for Channel Four, where we were um, I was producing them actually, and, and uh, working with another director who I worked with for a couple of years, and we were we were there. There were sort of films. There were documentaries analysing old films, and we did a documentary on sort of the mechanics of horror movies. Uh, and so we went to uh, LA and we interviewed lots of big sort of horror movie directors, um, including John Landis, actually. Um, and that was a lot of fun, actually. And I remember me, me interviewing all sorts of interesting characters, including um, Toby Hooper, who directed Chet's, uh Chainsaw Massacre. Have I got that? That's yeah, yeah. 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 And um, that was really interesting doing doing that. And and John Carpenter, who is a bit of a hero, mm. um, we interviewed John Carpenter, and uh, he was interesting. Very grumpy, I seem to recall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think. Uh, well, I, I I saw him at in Florida at a convention. And I think he, I think he just gets asked the same questions all the time. Somebody again asked him, "What did he think about one of his remakes?" And uh, just said, "Well, as long as there's a check, I'm happy." <laughs> well, we were also we were interviewing. We decided we had this bright idea when we made the documentary that we wanted uh, everyone to look like they were sat on the. Uh, actually in on the set of a, like it could be a scary movie and so we'd found this amazing decrepit old house that looked like a haunted house and that's where we were interviewing John Landis um not John Landis John Carpenter um but unfortunately this house was in Compton um and uh, so, uh, John Carpenter had to drive in his, in his big Buick or whatever it was through Compton and so he turned up very grumpy for us making him drive through there and then, and then I think the toilet was blocked before oh. he went to the toilet. So he wasn't happy at all. <laughs> oh dear. You, you, you didn't happen to interview uh, Wes Craven, did you? No, we would, we ch- we chased him desperately, um, uh, but never got him. But we did interview Robert England, who was incredibly charming. Amazing, yes. We 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 love Robert England. Yeah, he was <laughs> fantastic. One of the best people I've ever interviewed. He was amazing. Oh, that's great. And um, 
uh, are you able to, I mean, how, how did you get involved with, uh, with RSA? Well, I got involved with RSA basically because um, um, I made the Massive Attack video, and that was made for Black Dog Films, which oh, is right. the, the music video arm of um, RSA. And, 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 and basically after I made that, um, that, that started my collaboration with RSA. And I've been working with them ever since and, um, and love working with them. So I have to ask, have you met Ridley Scott? I might have. <laughs> <laughs> Bumped into him in the corridor. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, well, I mean, you, you know, obviously you've done some, some some fantastic commercials, music videos, documentaries. Um, and one of the questions that I had for you, which you, you kind of hinted at at the beginning, so I want to ask more, is... Um, you, you said in the intro that, uh, you know, what you really want to do and what you want to get into is drama. And uh, I just wondered what's, you know, what, what's happening on that side of things? I mean, have, have you been given any opportunities to direct drama? Have you got any plans to make any features or anything? Well, um, it's interesting you talk about Ridley Scott because he's at the moment, uh, I don't know if you know, he's making the... Um, sequel to Prometheus, which is the prequel to Alien, uh, which is a film called Alien Covenant. Hmm. Um, we sometimes mention Alien on this podcast, not very often, but we no. sometimes mention it, don't we, Simon? <laughs> yeah, we, we, we never mention it like every episode. <laughs> you, you see, we've even worked it into this one now. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't us. <laughs> so We're I big fans. Oh, yeah. Who isn't? Who isn't? Uh, uh, so, um, I can't give too much away at the moment because I'm not allowed to. But basically, I'm I'm doing something. Um, um, I'm involved in some way on a project connected to that, um, which is definitely drama based. Uh, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. Shot already and uh, editing it at the moment with Julian. Um, and um, and then also I've got a, a feature project. Um, that's sort of in development at the moment, but it's early days on that. Oh, fantastic! No, it's just great to hear. So, do you know our friend uh, Charles de Lozarica then? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> just, uh, I, I know he's been involved in some of those those behind the scenes projects with that stuff. So I thought you, oh. your paths may have crossed, but no. no. Okay. No, 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 no. Listen oh, to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's not a behind the scenes thing. The um uh the alien covenant thing it's uh, something else but uh yeah it, it should be a very good film it looks interesting mm -hmm. well we we hope it's better than prometheus uh, no comment on that <laughs> <laughs> no we don't want you to get in trouble with the boss <laughs> no definitely not you've got to be careful what you say in this business for sure <laughs> uh no, that's that's cool. So it's good to know that things are in development mm. then. And um, yeah. uh, do you do you also? Um, I mean, you say a lot of these projects you've been commissioned to do and and have sort of come to you. Do do you write as well? Yeah. Yes, I do write. Um, uh, very much so, actually. Um, and so, I mean, like, I find my work is a is a mixture between uh, my own ideas. Uh, that I've come up with and, and written uh, and projects that are brought to me. And that neither is necessarily better than the other. Um, I, I, I like 
I like working both ways, and I, I think uh, both are, are fruitful in their own ways. I mean, it's it's one of the great things about this industry that you 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 can get a lot of variety. Yeah, with, with the work. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, completely. Um, Every project is different, indeed. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. But you've managed to make a living out of it, which, uh, you know, I'm very impressed by. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Because yeah. it is hard, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I know. And, like, uh, yeah. And, I mean, the hardest thing was sort of um, breaking into it. But, um, I'm, you know, slightly cynically believe that if you hang around doing anything for long enough you'll eventually get there and and, and sort of and sort of uh, get to uh, um, uh, get to some note so I think a lot of it's just hanging around for long enough <laughs> there you go Keith there's hope for us yet indeed indeed <laughs> <laughs> we never lose that we never lose the passion uh, that's the thing I you know it's it's uh, I often say to people, passion is sort of linked with pain, and, and <laughs> sometimes, you know, you know, when you're when you're hugely passionate about something and you you can't do what you love, then it can be a bit painful. But then the pain is kind of what keeps us going. So oh, you know, gotcha, gotcha. and I, I don't think it matters sort of, um, and I don't think it makes any difference what level of uh, you are at filmmaking or whatever else. I think I don't think any of us are ever satisfied, are we? We've always believed that. The, the next, the, 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 we, we haven't got there yet. And the next, the, the best thing is just around the corner anyway. Indeed. And you've you just got to keep creating your own work. And, and we are, you, you know, we're, we're fortunate enough to live in an age where that, that's, that's a bit easier than it, than it was to do but, like 25 years ago, you know. Totally, totally. I mean, it's amazing now what we, what you can do. I mean, like, you know, when we were kids, it was, you know, you had to beg, borrow a, um a shitty you know vhs uh you know super vhs recorder or high eight or whatever and then do tape to tape videoing uh editing it was a nightmare i mean if we had if we had the tools uh today uh that i had today that we have today when i was a kid it would be amazing I mean, it's, there's so much you can do now um without without big bucks i think it's a fantastic time to be a filmmaker yeah yeah it's, absolutely it's, definitely is yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I, f I think that's a good place to end it. It's a good positive note, no, isn't yeah. it, to end on? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really enjoyed chatting with you guys. Thank, thank you for having me. No, oh. no, thank you. We've really enjoyed having you on board and uh, really have enjoyed sort of uh, studying your work as well as, as sort of preparation for this. It's been very impressive. I've, I'm a oh. really big fan of your work. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's very nice for you to say. So if people want to see your work, where, where can they find you, Toby? Uh, well, I guess they go to my the best place is to go to my website, um, tobydie.com, I guess. And uh, also check out the RSA website. Uh, I had a look yeah. there and, and watched some more more of your stuff on there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I wish I could put the things like the the body snatcher doc on uh, on my website, but I, it's not really. I'm not allowed to, unfortunately. Copyright and all that. I mean, it's, it, is there a place where i mean is that got a release or something or is it being shown on a particular channel is, is there a way somebody well, could see was, that it was it was channel four and it was shown a lot on channel four um and um but it'd be interesting I'd, it's, I'd be interested to see if there's possibility of a, a live you know because it sort of came out just to, just before we had all the sort of netflix and streaming and things like that 
Um, so, but maybe I'd be interested to see if it could have another life on a format like that. So maybe you never know in the future. Mm. It is fascinating for sure. Fascinating story. Yeah, I like it. Oh no, yeah. really enjoyed it. I mean, I had n- never heard of it before, and it was it was very sort of enlightening. <laughs> <laughs> Enlightening to make scarily, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was an interesting one to make, definitely. Definitely, yeah. Uh, so Keith, where can we find your work? Okay, uh, yeah, if you want to see my stuff, if you go to YouTube and put in British Isles, spell E Y L E S, um, there are uh, some of my incredibly low budget <laughs> short films there for your viewing <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> Did you like that caveat? Uh, I'm going to go to British Isles tonight. <laughs> oh, that's another website. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah, don't go to that website. And <laughs> uh, uh, you can find my work as always at uh, independentrunnings.com. Uh, you can listen to this podcast uh, via iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, and all good podcast providers. Uh, you can uh, follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. And uh, please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. It really helps. Please do. So that just leaves us to say uh, thank you to our guest, Toby. Thank you for uh, coming on and doing this. A pleasure. Thanks for really having me. Pr- yeah, really appreciate it. It's been great. Thank you. Very much. Good chatting with you both. And well, I, I'm I'm hoping we can uh, we can talk further as well beyond this podcast. Oh, I'd love to, definitely. And uh, join us for the next episode of uh, Movie Heaven, Movie Hell. Well, we're, we're I think we're finally back to the old format, aren't we? <laughs> yes. <laughs> cool.